Our scripture passage this evening, there are a couple of them. We're going to be reading, once again, Matthew chapter 6, Pew Bible, page 1504, the Sermon on the Mount, where Christ taught his people a model of prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Also this evening, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 28 can be found in your pew Bible on page 1790. Paul, in teaching the church in Corinth, amongst which some had begun to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, says these words about what will happen at the end of time. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him. So that God may be all in all. Let's follow the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Also this evening, we're going to be looking at Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 48 and 49. It can be found in the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page 61. We can read the answers together with one voice. What does the second request mean? Thy kingdom come means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way 
that more and more we submit to you, keep your church strong and add to it. Destroy the devil's work, destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. Do this until your kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it you are all in all. What does the third request mean? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all men to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any backtalk. Your will alone is good. Help everyone carry out the work he is called to as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. As far as the reading or the teaching of the catechism, The second and third request, John Calvin said when he began to discuss this in his writings, we see here nothing new. We see here nothing new. And what he meant by that was when we as the people of God pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're saying nothing different than your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For the place in which God's name is revered and hallowed by all is the kingdom of God. And a place in which God's name is hallowed and feared and reverenced and respected by all is the place in which the people do God's will alone. We are in the section of the catechism which deals with the topic of gratitude. Gratitude, and the Heidelberg Catechism includes the Ten Commandments in this section as well as the Lord's Prayer. And it wants us to connect those two realities because It is through prayer that we call out to God that he would give us his grace that we may live lives that align with the Ten Commandments as an expression of that gratitude that we have for the salvation we've received in our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And the second and third petition or request of the Lord's Prayer is simply an extension of this gratitude. It's an extension of these grateful hearts that have been saved. So as we look at this tonight, this is what I want us to get. God's kingdom comes as we pray to live kingdom lives. God's kingdom comes as we pray to live kingdom lives. That's how these two requests are connected. Thy kingdom come cannot be disconnected from the kingdom life. Because it's only in the kingdom living of God's people that God's kingdom comes. Okay? And so we're going to look at this in two parts, obviously. Thy kingdom come. 
and thy will be done. And we're going to look at various details under each point, okay? So let's start by looking at that second request, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Before we get there, though, it's important that we discuss the nature of God's kingdom. When Christ came into this world and began his ministry, he began it with these words, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come. That is to say that Christ's very ministry was an expression of the kingdom of God breaking into this world. In fact, he said, if you see the blind seen, the lame healed, and demons being cast out, then you know the kingdom of God has come among you. But in the church, there has been a history of getting this wrong because oftentimes they have equated God's kingdom with the church. They're related, but they're not the same, okay? And in order to express that, I want to uh, quote Kevin DeYoung, who quotes George Ladd on the differences between the kingdom and the church. And he says this in four points. Defy, uh, uh, he says this in five points, see? Five different aspects in the relationship between the kingdom and the church. Number one is this. The church is not the kingdom. Number two is this. The kingdom creates the church. Number three is this. The church gives witness to the kingdom. Number four, the church acts as the instrument of the kingdom. And number five, the church acts as the custodian of the kingdom. And then the young goes on to say this. This means that the coming kingdom, God's increasing reign and rule, is not confined to the church, but the citizens of the kingdom are. So that helps us, I think, to distinguish between the church and the kingdom and see this in its proper light. Now, when we make the petition, your kingdom come, we are not saying that God is not already ruler and sovereign. And that's the reason why we sing the psalm that we sang, God is ruler over all nations. What we are saying is that there's a difference between God's sovereign rule and God's redemptive rule. God's sovereign rule means that all that comes to pass, he has ordained. Nothing can change that. Nothing happens in this world that God is not sovereign over, right? But there is a redemptive Grace and mercy rule of God that comes through salvation in Jesus Christ that's expressed in the prophets like there will no longer be any war. We will beat our swords into plows. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. Little children will go out and not be scared that a snake will come out of a hole and bite them. 
A person who lives to 100 years will seem an infant. That's the kind of redemptive reign that we're talking about here when we say your kingdom come. We're saying, God, your kingdom come in its grace. Your kingdom come in new heavens and new earth reality. That's what we mean when we say thy kingdom come. And it's described for us here in the catechism in basically four ways, okay? And the first is a preservation. Preserve. Did I spell that right? P-R? Okay, good. Preserve. And what do I mean by this? Well, it says here, rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. So the preservation of God is marked by word and spirit. And what is meant by that? Well, it means that God has revealed himself to us in his word. And that's how we seek to bring about this redemptive kingdom, right? And he rules over us by a spirit. We think about this in the way that the word and spirit work together in the salvation of people, right? Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Paul says, who will, um, who will go to preach? Because if we do not preach... Hearing comes by the word, so the word is preached, and then the spirit revives and gives salvation. That's how the word and spirit work together. As we look at the word, and we study the word, and we look to find God's redemptive reigning, here, the spirit enlightens us. So God preserves us. He rules us by his word and spirit in such a way, we ask that more and more we submit to him. So this is a continual realization. It's a, it's a justification to sanctification process. Right? We're saved by word and spirit, but we continue in salvation by word and spirit, growing and godliness and holiness, and God is doing this. And as he's doing this, as he's transforming us, as he's conforming us to the image of, son, of his son, this redemptive kingdom is being realized in our lives, in our hearts. But beyond that, this redemptive kingdom is going beyond the church walls into the way we cook meals at home, teach our children, work in the workplace, Govern in the courthouses. You see that? The second way is keep. We see that right here. Keep your church strong and add to it. Keep your church strong and add to it. If the church of God is the one that shines a light and a beacon upon the kingdom reality that God is trying to bring into this world through redemption, then it's important that the church remains strong. 
that the church remain pure, that the church remain a true expression of that kingdom reality, that the church remain a good witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church would be strong. And add to it. So there's an evangelistic reality here. And add to it. It's something that's not often seen directly in the teaching of the catechism. It's there by implication. But here we see it straightforward. And add to it. Because... Upon the cross of Jesus Christ, when he said, it is finished, he meant that all the number of the elect were guaranteed that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so as that church is being filled, as people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, the kingdom is coming closer. The already and the not yet are coming together. Keep your church strong and add to it. The third way that we are petitioning God concerning his kingdom coming is that he would arm. He would arm his church. He would intercede on behalf of the church. And it's, uh, it's interesting to read these words as we looked at Psalm 83 this morning. The way that uh, the psalmist was calling for God to destroy his enemies. And we see here, destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. It's important to see that in all these things, they're connected to word and spirit. How does God keep his church strong and add to it by word and spirit, right? How does God... Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you. Every conspiracy against your word by word and spirit. And he does so here in warring against the forces of the devil who seek to destroy the church and the kingdom. Destroy the devil's work. And this is not only... Personally, as we are here, and we have been saved, and we now have salvation, right? But we are warring against the flesh, the world, the devil, in our personal lives and sanctification. But this is also a broader application here. Destroy the devil's work means destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. If it is by word... And spirit that we are saved and are sanctified. If it is by word and spirit that God keeps his church strong and adds people to it, then any attack that comes against the word is a threat to the furthering of God's kingdom. And you can imagine in the day in which this catechism was written, how important it was for the people of God to be praying against any conspiracy that would come against the Word of God, how central and important the Word of God was to the Reformation. Destroy the devil's work. How is this coming about? Well, as we read 1 Corinthians 15, we saw that Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. We see that since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. 
And then we are told the end will come, Christ, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So the way in which God is destroying the devil's work, destroying every force which revolts against God and every conspiracy against your word is the fact that he has set his son in Zion. That in Christ, the destruction and the defeat of the devil was made sure. That Christ... Now, as he's seated on the right hand of the Father, God is putting every enemy under his feet. That's a quote from Psalm 110.1, the most often quoted Bible verse of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Psalm 110.1. We pray that God, when we say, your kingdom come, God, we're saying, Come, Lord Jesus, we're saying, destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which would come against you. We're saying that Christ promised that the gates of Hades would not stand against his church. And that's not a defensive text. That's an offensive text. The gates of Hades, the church is coming against them. And they will not stand. Thy kingdom come, we're praying for the destruction of all sin, death, evil. And we're praying it because we've been told from God's own word that Christ has given all, been given all authority in heaven and on earth, that God has given him the nations, and that he will put every enemy under Christ's feet until finally the last enemy is death. And then the last one here is an important phrase, until. Until. What are we praying for? We're praying that all these things would come about, that God would rule us by his word and spirit, that we would become more and more submissive to him, that he would keep his church strong and add to it, that he would destroy all the works of the evil one. And we pray this until... God's kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it he is all in all. Of course, the words, 1 Corinthians 15, tells us in verse 28, Christ, when he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. That is to say that this redemptive kingdom that we are pleading on God to bring about will come fully, consummately, at the end of time, when Christ defeats death finally, and all things are in subjection to God, all things are in right relationship with God, creation, our bodies, all corruption is gone, all death, gone, all evil, gone. This prayer is not to cease. Until that day has come about. Do this until your kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it you are all in all. But how does this come about? How does this come about? This thy kingdom come is not something that simply 
occurs without any call to action, so to speak, on our behalf. This is an often misunderstood phrase, as if it is an expression of passivity. Thy will be done. Oh God, your will be done. When truly your will be done is a call to action. Let me see if I can express it a little bit by using Christ's moment of Gethsemane as an example. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ is praying because he knows that great suffering is about to come upon him. Great suffering, such suffering that the one moment on the cross that Christ suffered would be hell for us in eternity. It's the wrath of God which poured out on him. And Christ said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, if there's any way that this cup of your wrath can pass from me, let it be. And then he said these words, but not my will be done, but yours. That was not an expression of passivity from Jesus Christ because that was a commitment of Jesus Christ that he would go and he would do the will of God and he did so by going to the cross and dying upon the cross having the wrath of God poured out upon him. That will be done is not a passive expression of well, just whatever happens, happens. Your will be done, you know. It's a call to action. This is not a petition about the secret will of God. This is a petition about the revealed will of God. What does the third request mean? Thy will be done on earth as in heaven means help us and all men, number one, to reject our wills. To reject our wills. To reject what we want to do. Unguided. Reject what is so often a cliche in our day and age. Well, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. No, the word of God says our hearts are evil. And they're not to be followed. What the word of God does tell us is lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, trust in the Lord and he will make your path straight. That is what our, our scriptures tell us. So we're called to reject our own wills. That is to say that that part of us which is still wrestling against the flesh, wrestling against sin, is going to want to steer us away from the kingdom living that we are called to. It's going to want us to steer us away from the kingdom life that we are called to and point us in the direction of self-centeredness, being concerned only with our own interests, thinking of ourselves as more important than others. It's going to point us away from the example of Christ into a path of lies and destruction. So thy will be done 
is a prayer which is a rejection of our own wills and a call to trust God's will. To trust God's will. What's it say here? Help us and all men to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any back talk. Your will alone is good. Your will alone is good. The prayer of thy will be done is a prayer of commitment to knowing that God's will above all else is the best, that we can trust his will, that we know that his will for our lives is better than our will for our lives. His plan for our lives is better than our plan for our lives. Seeking God's will is much simpler than we seem to make it. We seem to think that seeking God's will is difficult to navigate because God's scriptures doesn't tell us whether we should take a job that is going to pay such and such amount but has better benefits or taking a job that pays this much amount but has not as good benefits. Where does God's word tell us what we should do in that situation? It gives us wisdom that we can discern. We make it more difficult than it is because God's will is revealed to us in his word. When it comes to matters of utmost importance, when it comes to matters of living kingdom life, whether you take one job or another is not the concern that is the matter. Whether you take a job that's sinful or not is a concern. But what's most important is love of God and love of neighbor. And concerning that, that kingdom life, God has all that you need right here in his word. How do we know his will alone is good? Because we have his word, his promises. We can trust him. And the last thing here is to carry out. God's will. So we can say, your kingdom come till the cows come home. We can say, your will be done and use it as a passive excuse of not doing anything. But here's where the hard work comes in. The hard work of asking God to extend his grace all the more. Help everyone carry out the work he is called to as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. See, the angels in heaven perfectly follow the will of God, except, of course, the ones that fell with Satan. The angels in heaven praise God endlessly. The angels in heaven have a perfect obedience. And there is a work that God has called us all to. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. This not of yourselves. It is the gift of God that no one should boast. And then it tells us that you have works which God has called you to. 
to live out, that you're his workmanship, that he's called you to live out these works, that when we pray, thy will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking him to do a work of grace in us that is going to hurt. We're going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to choose to not live like all the others who are living after the pattern of this world so that we can live the kingdom life. It means we have to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. It means maybe that suffering will mark our lives. Because the kingdom of God comes about when we begin to live like Jesus Christ lived, imperfectly, of course. Christ came. And he revealed the kingdom of God unlike any other. He showed in the way that he healed and he preached and he died and he rose again what the kingdom of God is all about. We're called to live like him, but he does not leave us helpless and powerless to do so. He's granted us his spirit that we may all the more petition God. God, give us your grace that we might live kingdom lives for your sake, for your glory. That your kingdom would come and would be revealed and seen among us. And the way that we love one another and the way that we sacrifice for each other and the way that we deal with hardships and sufferings. As we await the day in which Christ will come to consummate his kingdom and bring in the new heavens and the new earth. On that day, we will no longer pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because on that day, his kingdom will have come. And his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your son Jesus Christ has shown us how important it is to pray for the coming of your kingdom. As we stand here in the in-between, the already but the not yet, as we experience glimpses and tastes of the new heavens and the new earth, Lord, may we all the more strive, all the more long for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes to judge the living and the dead, for the kingdom that shall have no end, to, to be seen in its fullness and to be complete. And Lord, as we strive for that, as we long for that, may we continue to pray that our wills would be done away with. That we may have more freedom and liberty to live according to your will. And see amongst us that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray and we will continue to pray all the days that remain until Christ comes again. 
and ask that you would answer them on the behalf of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.